are entering the Freedom Hut. A bombshell ruling from a federal court late on a Friday afternoon, my friends. A judge has said that DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, must be restored in its entirety. I want to wonder out loud here, folks, why do we even have a president? I guess all we need is a couple left-wing federal judges who will overrule the president on areas of his authority. We'll get into that, and also the espionage threat from China is escalating. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. And then they said, sir, we're better off if we wait till after. I say, it's better before. Let's do it before. Sir, we're better off. You know who thinks it should be for? Rush Limbaugh thinks it should be before. Before the election. You know who else? Sean Hannity. A lot of them. They say, look, we have the best economy ever. We're doing great. Maybe we don't want to complicate it. And I understand it. You know, I'm a little torn myself. I would personally prefer before. But whether it's before or after, we're either getting it or we're closing down government. We need border security. We need border security. I think the president was going to throw my name in there right after Rush and Sean. But, uh, you know, he's got a country to run and a country to save. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me on a Friday. Uh, appreciate the chance to address you live from the swamp. I am your humble host from the the filthiest, stinkiest swamp there is, Washington, D.C. And I do have some uh, some breaking news for you to share uh, on the show, which is always fun for a Friday. Usually you get the the document dump on a Friday, especially if it's something the government doesn't want people to spend much time thinking about or talking about. This one, though, is a uh, a federal judge who has weighed in on DACA and the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, right? This is the Dreamers program where you get you get to stay, you are uh, free from deportation, and you also can get a, a work permit. Uh, this is, yeah, renewable grants of deferred action to non-citizen parents. Oh, sorry, no, that's DAPA. I'll get to that in a moment. So... This is how we got to this point, because we need a little bit of backstory before we get to where we are now. President Obama was in the eight years of his presidency, including two years where he had both the House and the Senate and where they rammed through a massive entitlement program known as Obamacare without a single Republican vote. So we know they were willing to play hardball on stuff, not an not an ounce of bipartisan effort, not an ounce of reaching across the aisle. But Obama did nothing. On the issue of immigration, nothing, no, no legislation whatsoever. It's only executive orders that Obama took any action on immigration. And, you know, you'd say, oh, Buck, well, the Congress, they wouldn't work with them. Or and He was president for eight years. His party was in power uh, and majority, both the House and the Senate. The first two of those eight years did not lead the Democrats to, to reform immigration or do anything substantive on that issue. He, he only waited until his second term to start just with these proclamations, these pen and phone proclamations. You know? And saying things like, I'm just going to go around Congress if Congress won't act. 
They won't say that that was tyrannical. They won't say now, you know, the, the media won't say, oh, that's that's undermining our norms of democracy. That is undermining our institutions. What Obama did was, in fact, dangerous to separation of powers. Trump has done nothing like that. Trump has respected the process at every step of the way. Every, you know, random flimsy federal judge who decides to engage in a little hashtag resistance, Trump's and Trump and his administration go, all right, well, you know, we'll take this to court. He doesn't just come up with another executive order to go around them or tell them just to go forward with it. Remember this. A federal judge actually under Obama had to stop the Department of Homeland Security under Jay Johnson from giving IDs and work permits to a lot of people covered under DAPA, the Deferred Action for the Parents of Arrival. So it's not just Dreamers. Now it's Dreamers' parents. Then it's going to be Dreamers' uncles. Then it's going to be Dreamers' friends. Then it's going to be people that saw Dreamers, that live in their neighborhood, that also want to be Dreamers. That's the way the Democrats play the game. We know this. We've seen it in the past. No surprises. But a federal judge in Texas had to step in and stop the Obama administration from giving IDs to DAPA recipients because they knew that once they had done that, if they were able to just print and they were going to go forward with it, right? It was supposed to be decided by a court. They said, no, no, we're just going to go with this anyway, that they would make it a, a fait accompli. Once it's finished, there's no way of turning it back. So that was what Obama was doing. He was, you want to talk about running through democratic norms and and undermining our system of government by refusing to accept the fact that the legislature can act or not act, and that's just the way it is. Obama put us in this position where by presidential proclamation, almost like you're in a monarchy or something, by presidential proclamation, it was decided that the law, which says you cannot be in this country illegally, and if you are, you are subject to deportation. That is the law. No one denies that that is the law. Uh, But the law didn't count anymore because Obama said so. The law didn't matter because it was inconvenient for the Democrats and because President Obama wanted to burnish his legacy of being favorable toward illegal aliens, people that have broken the law in this country. And that was a decision that that president made now we have a new president and this is you know we can get into all the legal complexities of this and i won't you know it's friday we got a lot to talk about i got a chinese espionage case to bring to your attention there's some really interesting stuff going on we'll also take the the liars in the quote neutral media to task we've got a busy show but here's the very basic way we can all understand and approach this issue because this daca daca is very important uh, it's very important that we don't cave on this. You had Trump saying we got to build a wall. This was a this was all central to the promise of Trumpism. No amnesty. A wall will be built. There will be a secure border. We will not have millions and millions of people over the next ten or twenty years coming to the country illegally, overstaying their visas. All these different games that are played. And that was what President Trump promised, and we are going to hold them to that. With DACA, though, it's very clear that the Obama administration decided to do this for political reasons. But it was a president. It was a presidential decision. Obama said it's within my discretion, essentially abusing uh, prosecutorial discretion because Obama, the president, is the top of the executive branch. So he's also the, the highest law enforcement officer in the country. It's also why he can pardon people. Right. So 
Obama abused that authority under under the notion of discretion and who do you prosecute, who do you not prosecute. He just said, well, we're not going to prosecute any of these people, and we're going to confer a special status to them by executive decree. Trump has come along and decided, you know what? I don't agree with that. And now I'm the president, and I'm going to stop that program. And you've got federal judges who are saying, no, sorry, doesn't matter that you're the president. You don't get to stop this program. Oh, I'm sorry. How is that supposed to work? And I'm looking at the, at the, the judgment right here, or at the, um, the uh, opinion, rather, right here. And when you read into it, it's quite clear. I mean, they say that, uh, quote, for the reasons explained, the government's motion will be denied. Although the Nielsen memo, remember, she's running DHS, purports to offer further explanation of DHS's decision to rescind DACA, it fails to meaningfully elaborate on the agency's primary rationale for its decision, the judgment that the policy was unlawful and unconstitutional. And while the memo offers several additional policy grounds for DACA's rescission, most of these simply repackage legal arguments previously made and hence are insufficiently independent from the evaluation of DACA's legality to preclude judicial review or to support the agency's decision. That's a lot of fancy legalese for them saying, yeah, we don't think we don't we don't think that you get to make this call. We're not persuaded. But it's not your call. This is in the world of presidential power. Let's let's really boil this down to its its essence. This would be like if, if you many, many of you listening. Because, you know, you've chosen to live in places where you can do this, unlike me, who will probably never own property in his whole life. Uh, but many of you live in places where, you know, you, you own a house. You're the owner of the house. You can paint that house whatever color you want. Right? You, you can paint that house blue, let's say. And then I know some of you are like, Buck, who paints a house blue? Just stay with me on this. All right. It doesn't matter. All right. That's that's your right. You, and, and let's put aside whether or not that's a good idea. Uh, but you can paint your house blue. The next owner comes along. They buy that house. You think that they have the right to paint it whatever they want, right? But if they went to paint it uh, green, it wouldn't be right for you to say you're not allowed to do that. That's pretty much what's going on here now, except it's with the presidency and amnesty for millions of people that's at stake. If, if, it, was, if it was a presidential decision, a presidential prerogative to extend DACA, there is no reasonable explanation how it cannot be a presidential decision to rescind DACA. Remember, the, the president cannot confer citizenship. So this is not like, oh, well, you can't pull away citizenship once it's been granted or something, which is also not entirely true. But this is just the president was saying, uh, here's, a, here's a, a better version of this. Forget about the painted houses thing. Somebody like, Buck, come on. It's Friday. I know. I'm trying to make it very basic, though. This would also be like saying, James Comey, that partisan hack, helped push the uh, decision with Loretta Lynch, also obviously very partisan, pro-Obama, not to prosecute Hillary for her clear violations of the Espionage Act. It is not up to a judge in the era of Trump if, in fact, uh, Jeff Sessions and Christopher Wray, the FBI director, decided, you know what, actually, we... We, we do think that she needs to be prosecuted for that. That is their call. It, there's no, there, a judge has no role in this, you see. 
And a judge has no role in overruling an issue of presidential discretion. This would be like a federal judge saying what's going on here with DACA. It would be like a federal judge coming out and saying, no, 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 the president, I'm going to put an injunction. The president can't pardon that person. You'd say to yourself, but wait, presidential pardon is is a enumerated power. I mean, this is the president can do this and it's the president's choice. Oh, no, some federal judge says, no, no, I'm, I'm not convinced that the president has the power to do it this time. So now this is how you create a real constitutional crisis, folks. And this you want to talk about undermining institutions and Americans faith in uh, the governing apparatus around them. Well, what is this all about? This is just hashtag resistance judiciary at work. This is left wing judges on the federal bench who think that it is their moral obligation, even when they know they are doing violence to the law and the process, they think it's their moral obligation to do everything they can to block the president's agenda, to stop the president from exercising his constitutional authority granted him by the people of this country. And they don't care that they will be overturned eventually. They don't care that there's no way the Supreme Court could look at this and not come away. It'll be 5-4 because there's a bunch of hashtag resistance judges on the Supreme Court, too, unfortunately. But there's not five of them. Well, hope we'll see what ends up happening here with Kavanaugh. I'm assuming that'll all be fine. Uh, but this this is what we're up against. The federal bench stacked with Obama appointees, by the way, 30 percent of the federal bench right now. People Obama put in place. Now, Trump is changing that. Trump's putting a lot of judges in place, too. But they have been a primary, a, a frontline offensive against President Trump's agenda. And they don't care that their reasoning is complete and utter garbage. They don't care that they're going to be overturned as it makes its way up to the, either appeals court or the Supreme Court. They just want people to think that they're part of the resistance. And this under you want to talk about undermining the rule of law. This undermines the rule of law. This is a garbage decision. It is full of crap, lousy uh, reasoning and rationale. And the the judge here. Uh, where is this uh, judge's name? Oh, well, whatever. The judge who wrote it. I'll find it at the bottom in a second. Should be ashamed, but I'm sure is not. Which is not surprising. Yeah. John Bates, United States District Judge. John Bates. Big surprise there. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. You know, they keep they keep getting mad whenever Trump talks about Russia as a hoax. What is he supposed to say about the Russian nonsense at this point? Play clip five, please. Now, we're being hindered by the Russian hoax. It's a hoax. Okay. I'll tell you what. Russia is very unhappy that Trump won. That I can tell you. But I got along great with him. I used to study not too much diplomacy. I said, whatever happened to getting everything you want? Now, some you have to be rough, some you have to be nice, but whatever happened. And let me tell you, if I did go up and start screaming, they would have said, he was terrible. He was so rude. 
It was horrible. His performance was horrible. Whatever happened to fair press? Whatever happened to honest reporting? It's a good question. And by the way, his his point there, and we'll return to this uh, later on about the national security meeting that was held yesterday at the uh, at the in the White House press conference. Uh, and hear from a, a CNN analyst version of what's going on, which will really, ex- which I think really show you exactly what I'm talking about. But they don't offer criticism of the president as guidance. They just offer criticism as uh, this is an itch that they must scratch. This makes them feel better because they hate Trump so much. So it's not that they get angry at Trump because they want him to do things differently. They have to pretend that that's how they feel, because otherwise it's just verbalizing their Trump derangement. Right. But they they absolutely do. And I, I, I really believe this. they absolutely will change their position on whatever the issue is based on whatever Trump is for or against. If he's for it, they're against it. If he's against it. They're for it. They'll move on anything. If he's tough with Russia, he's pushing us toward war. If he's nice to Russia, he's a stooge in the Kremlin's pocket. We just keep seeing this play out all the time. Uh, I I do hope that the Republicans understand that immigration is a winning issue for them. Returning to that for a moment here and this this whole breaking news about DACA. Remember, now they're saying that the president has to that we have to reimplement DACA. So I guess where DACA is now a law, you see. It was never passed as a law, but it was an Obama pronouncement. It's important to Democrats, so now it's a law. That's pretty scary. That's not the way this is supposed to work. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. That's not the system that we have. But the same liberals who are going to tell you, the same media that's neutral, yeah, right, the same neutral media that's going to say to you that they just want the president to restore presidential norms right to just act with it they'll also look at this and say well yeah this is the president's decision to make but we don't think he should make it because we don't like it Uh, i want to talk about espionage and a couple of big cases not involving russia not involving russian collusion or interference in the election involving china and what they're doing we've got that and more coming up He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So the media, because of uh, Hillary's loss in 2016 and their need for some kind of an excuse and a scapegoat, they've got everybody all all freaked out about Russia. Got this huge problem of Russia interfering in our elections and Russia collusion allegations, all the, all this stuff that you hear. All this that's going on. And meanwhile, some of us are saying, well, if we're really going to take the notion of cyber theft and espionage and trade secrets being stolen, all that stuff, if we're really going to focus in on this as a country, the bigger concern is China. Uh, The bigger concern is what's going on uh, with a massive uh, kind of hybrid communist country that has over a billion people and uh we, we i have you know this is something that we really need to spend more time on in general in the media i think you know never mind the fact that as i pointed out while everyone's talking about acosta's whining 
You've got Yemen, which is host to the most active Al-Qaeda franchise in the world still. One that's, you know, that consistently is in the, is in the top of the threat matrix of, of uh, the counterterrorism agencies. And is trying to blow up planes and do all the terrible terrorist stuff that you'll notice has lessened dramatically in the last 18 months, hasn't it? You don't hear much about ISIS anymore, do you? Seems it's curious, isn't it? It's almost like somebody came in and has a different approach to these things. Uh, somebody who could make a difference on those matters. But we don't hear much about the millions of people who may be starving to death in Yemen unless some dramatic action is taken on their behalf soon. We hear a lot about Jim Acosta whining, and we don't hear all that much about the following two stories, both involving Chinese espionage efforts. In one case, alleged. In another, I think, believed to have already been proven. Uh, so I'll start with the one that you're... I'll start with the one they're going to make go away even more quickly. How many of you knew that uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who was the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, so has oversight has an oversight role over what the intelligence community uh, intelligence community is doing. Therefore can see whatever she wants to see access to whatever government programs that she wants. There's nothing that is too sensitive for the chairwoman of the Senate finance. I'm sorry, Senate intelligence committee finance committee. Show me those spreadsheets. How's the economy doing? Um, so it is known that five years ago, the story first broke where, where Feinstein had a driver for years, 20 years, in fact, who was with Senator Feinstein uh, traveling around with her all the time and was a mole for the Chinese government. Oh, yeah, that's right. A Chinese spy in San Francisco was driving uh, Senator Feinstein around now, you know, San Francisco, by the way, does have a fair amount of espionage stuff going on. Uh, you had the Russian consulate there shut down. You guys remember that? And, and there was the. The burning of of documents going on, people could see it from the facility. Uh, you know, Feinstein's office, of course, not commenting on this. But you would think that g- given how much focus there's been on the possibility of anyone in Trump's orbit talking to a Russian, ordering a white Russian, you know, doing any of these things, that a senior intelligence, uh, or sorry, a, a, a senior senator, um, a senior senator here on the Intelligence Committee uh, had a spy next door for a long time and apparently never, never thought that this was a bad idea, never thought that uh, they should have this person more thoroughly vetted. That, to me, she there's a double standard at work here. I think we can all agree with that. This would be, if this were not Feinstein, if this person were a Russian, and this person were, you know, imagine the storyline right now. If, instead of it being a Chinese spy who was very close uh, to Feinstein during a lot of conversations, Sure, she was on her cell phone a lot in that car. Sure, the very valuable information was being exchanged on a regular basis. You know, your driver is somebody who, kind of like in the media business, the hair and makeup folks hear and know everything. And you always got to be aware of that. I know that sounds trite. It's really true, though, because people just talk in front of them like they're not there, and so they'll hear everything. You know, people have negotiated their divorces in front of hair and makeup and think that they can't hear anything. Uh, 
the imagine the storyline if instead of it uh instead of the situation we talk about right here you had a russian driver who was mitch mcconnell's driver for the last you know for for 20 years folks who was a spy for the kremlin do you think that that would be a bigger story? Do you think that you'd be hearing this one? And, you know, ABC News tonight and all these places. Oh, you know, the Russian espionage efforts at the heart of the Republican Party. That's the storyline. I mean, they're they're going crazy over Maria Butina, who was walking around like, I am Russian and would like to uh, be friends with powerful people to know the direction of American politics. And maybe even did some shadier stuff uh, and that, from what we're told. And that's a huge deal. You know, they act like she perhaps was practically running the NRA. I mean, she had some meetings in some places and they're getting her on a FARA registration crime, essentially, or being an unregistered foreign agent in this country. Feinstein's driver for 20 years was a Chinese spy and no one is really saying boo about it. Not 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 a whole lot. So. You know, and then just I'm just putting this out there. This is supposition. I can't prove this. But. The. Reality of. Operational and information security, really, as we've seen with Hillary Clinton, was that she was reckless, didn't care and thought she was above the the rules for classified that apply to the little people, people like me when I was in the community was lived in constant terror of saying one wrong thing or doing one wrong thing. Hillary Clinton thought she was above that. And unfortunately, when she thought she was above the law, she was correct because she was so important to the Democrat Party and the deep state bailed her out. So we know that. That's what happened. I'm really not I'm really not up for debating that proposition with anyone anymore because that is what happened. But when you look at this situation now with Feinstein and a Chinese spy driving around everywhere do we think that feinstein was like oh well i just you know do, do, do you think that she had some pretty loose lips about some stuff in that car thinking you know who cares who knows i can't prove it but i'm just telling you that's where my mind goes massive massive counterintelligence nightmare in my mind who knows what was said by feinstein in that car you say oh buck she's i'm sure she was really careful really you think Feinstein's so much more trustworthy than Hillary Clinton? So much more responsible and ethical than Hillary Clinton? I mean, I'm sure she's a little bit more ethical, but that's not saying much. Then there's another Chinese espionage story here. And who's been telling you folks that this is this is where this is where it's all going? Because now people are saying, oh, wait a second, cyber and, and spycraft and intellectual espionage and all this stuff, intellectual property theft. They, they've raised our awareness about this on the Russia front, but China is where the real action is. GE engineer linked to China stole power plant technology, according to the FBI. This just broke. This is a story from uh, last 24 hours. Um, here's what it says. A General Electric company engineer with ties to Chinese companies was arrested and accused of stealing files related to proprietary power turbine technology which the FBI says he elaborately concealed to avoid detection. Uh, Xiao Jing Zheng, a U.S. citizen, was hired by GE in 2008 to work in its power division in Schenectady, New York, according to an affidavit by an FBI agent filed Wednesday in federal court. The FBI is conducting a wider inquiry 
into the suspected theft and use of GE's trade secrets. Agents search Mr. Zeng's house Wednesday and seize his passport, electronic devices, and a handbook that explains the type of resources the government of China will give to individuals or entities who can provide certain technologies. Hmm. It's like a bounty list. Get us this, we'll give you that. Very interesting. Also, to conceal the documents, Mr. Zhang embedded encrypted encrypted files into the code of a seemingly innocuous image of a sunset to send them to a personal email address, the FBI alleged. He told FBI agents they used similar techniques to take GE materials on five to ten previous occasions. Uh, Mr. Zeng's attorney says he disputes the allegations, blah, blah. Okay, all that stuff. So, you know, innocent until proven guilty. We'll see what happens here. But it doesn't look good, right? Doesn't look good. Renaming files, encrypting them. Uh, you know, that, that seems like, that's like using bleach bit and hammers to destroy hard drives, right? That's not normal stuff. I'm going to hide data in an image that looks innocuous and send it to a private email address. Why would you do that? I, I can't think of a a normal reason unless you're trying to hide sort of the old school microfilm, right? Unless you're trying to be the guy that is stealing information for the Chinese government, right? That, that would make some sense. GE, these private companies, these massive private corporations are huge sieves of information, And they don't even know the full extent of how much is being stolen from them, how sensitive the information that's getting out there really is. And why do we think that we're going to have, you know, right now, I think the assumption that every American goes to bed with every night is we have uh, better, you know, better computers, faster, uh, faster planes, more powerful missiles. And and just we're, we're just. If we have to, we could kick China's butt because we've got better stuff. And yeah, we've got a better military. But on the stuff front, on the having better stuff front. That's just technology, folks. They can create a lot of industrial output, too. They they're there. We're not our, our advantage is in the realm of information and technology. And if they can steal enough of that, our advantage goes away. And the world, when we can't really tell ourselves credibly, well, we've got a you know, our, our Navy is. Orders of magnitude better than theirs are, you know, fifth generation fighters are way better than theirs. I mean, that then changes the geopolitical calculation in massive ways. And that's what we're heading towards. I've been telling you that there is a there is a civilization changing theft of intellectual uh, intellectual property, technology and information from the United States to China that has been going on for decades. And we. You know, yeah, we've got the FBI on this. How effective do you think? And not to like start trashing the FBI, given what we've seen with the FBI and their focus on Strzok and Page and Carter and all this other stuff. Or Strzok was one of them, but you know what I'm talking about. You think that they you think that they're outsmarting highly trained Chinese espionage agents on a regular basis? For every one they catch, I'd be willing to bet there are a whole bunch that they don't. And once you add into this the ability to you know, hold third-party meetings overseas, and all, once you start adding some real tradecraft into the equation, poof, we got we got no idea what's really going on here, no idea. And if you go back and look at the the uh, KGB archives I've been mentioning to you, you'll see that the KGB was stealing us, uh, stealing from us in ways that we've still not really come to grips with. And uh, anyway, I, I, so I, I just think this is a, it's a it's a big story. 
There should be more focus on this. And you've been hearing about this here, folks. Uh, first, folks. So that's important, too. Uh, we're going to roll into a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh, we got Dinesh D'Souza joining, by the way. I have a nice, nice chat with Dinesh about his uh, new movie, uh, Death of a Nation. It's uh, a title to grab your attention. We'll talk to Dinesh uh, for, for quite a bit about that. That's coming up in just a few moments. So stay there. I was about 15 minutes early, and I'm waiting with my wife, and that's fine. Hey, it's the queen, right? We can wait. But I'm a little early. So I then go up and meet the queen, and she is fantastic. It lasted for like an hour because we got along. So here was the story by the fake news. The president was 15 minutes late for the queen. Wrong. And then here's the rest of the story. No, here's the rest. Here's the rest of the story. So they said I was late when I was actually early. Number one. Number two. I guess the meeting was scheduled for 15 minutes and it lasted for almost an hour. The president overstayed. So I was late and I overstayed. And honestly, folks, it was such a beautiful, beautiful visit and afternoon. But they can make anything bad because they are the fake, fake, disgusting news. I mean, the president's amazing, folks. Uh, you know, why does the president, have to, why should previous, it's always Republicans that have to deal with this. Why should Republican presidents sit there and just get abused by the press corps all the time? Bush did that. He just got abused. Bush got abused by the press. He's a war criminal. It's all about patting his friend's pockets and Halliburton. I mean, he just got Fahrenheit 9-11, that Michael Moore trash heap. Also, the movie was bad. Um, you know, you, 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 you look at this stuff and what purpose does it serve to sit there and just allow yourself to get punched in the face by the left and do nothing about it? Trump has revolutionized politics because of this on the right. He has changed the way that we view everything about the discourse, in, and I think a very good way. You and I know sitting around and just having to take it because we take the high road, because we're the principled ones, because we're the, you know, where does that get you? Talking about words here. You're allowed to fight back with words. We're not talking about violence. We're not talking about you know, hurting anybody. We're talking about pushing back verbally. That's what Trump does. They're the ones that want to be violent. They want us to, to, to be verbally abused and suffer violence in silence. Not on Trump's watch. It's a great thing. It really is. Uh, like I said, we got Dinesh coming up here in a few minutes. We'll talk to him about his movie where he's saying that Trump might be saving America. I mean, he's really he's going all in on it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to Dinesh about that. Um, and I'm also hoping that you will. I, I'm getting a lot of really positive feedback, both about the Sean Parnell, Jesse Kelly interview from last week on the Freedom Hut podcast and this week with Raheem Kassam. Raheem and I had a great chat. The podcast just went up last night. If you're looking for something to listen to this weekend, it's a little over 35 minutes, I think. If you're looking for something, just listen. There's no commercials, no nothing, okay? Just just having a chat with Raheem about all the things. Fortnite, Acosta, Alinsky, all this different stuff. I, I think you'll really, really appreciate it. It's on iTunes, just type in, uh, you, it's in the Buck Sexton Show feed, but you can also type in the Freedom Hut and it will pop up. You can just click and listen. And uh, soon enough, we'll have the BuckSexton.com up where you'll just be able to listen to this there too. And uh, we'll get going with it. 
Dinesh D'Souza coming up momentarily uh, and a whole lot of other stuff. So please do stay with me, team. And the third hour is also going to be fantastic, as it always is. If you're putting in long days at the office or at home, if you wanted to get a little bit of a, of a boost, get even more fired up at the gym, or you just need something to help you push through and be as productive as possible and get it done, Strike Force Energy is there for you. Strike Force is fuel for the fight, my friends. It's a veteran-owned, American-made energy product, and it's this liquid that you can put in anything you want. Water, tea, lemonade, yogurt. You can even put it in ice cold beer. And it comes in four different flavors, zero sugar, zero calories. It is delicious. Just pour some Strike Force Energy liquid into whatever you want, and you will get fired up and fueled up. And by the way, when you go to StrikeForceEnergy.com and enter discount code BUCK at checkout, for every packet you buy, Strike Force will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK, because Strike Force Energy is fuel. For the fight. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Republicans just passed the biggest tax cuts. In the history of our country. And the Democrats want to lift them way up. Remember that when you go to vote, they want to end your tax cuts and they want to lift it up so they can waste your money on a lot of nonsense. We're really at a high plateau. Uh, The data today, manufacturing was strong. Professional services, unemployment went down. It's a very nice report. The Atlanta Fed GDP now model preliminary is predicting five percent for Q3. I mean, I, I would be happy with three, but they're predicting five, so we're off to a good start. The Chinese had better not underestimate the determination of President Trump to follow through and seek uh, zero tariffs and non-tariff barriers and subsidies and a level playing field and major reforms in uh, IP theft and um, forced transfer of technologies. You know, the, the economy is doing so well, folks, and, and I, I just, I like to take some time, especially on Fridays when we, when we have the numbers in, because that's when, that's when you get these things like the uh, unemployment numbers and the jobs reports and all this stuff, and the economy is doing really well. And I, I know that that's not a segment that's going to get people, you know, jumping out of their seats and cheering, right? It, we're not... We're not owning the libs right now. We're not taking it to them. But I, I feel a need to, to bring it up because I just think I have to do my part to make sure that you're all hearing this because you may not be hearing it elsewhere, no matter how, how much you're reading and seeing and watching. There's so little focus on what really does matter with this president. There's such a an unwillingness to look at the things that the president is doing that are having a positive impact on the economy and and to just you just tell us what the numbers are, right? Let's judge this president by his results. I will say early on, that was what I told myself. I said that okay, I'm you know Trump personally. I don't know how this is going to work out with him, and but you know he he beat Hillary, and like I'm with him. Let let's give this a shot. Let's see if Trump can get it done. That was that was 18 months ago. Now I'm, you know, about to get MAGA tattooed on my back. Uh, anyway. 
The economic numbers, though, are so strong that Democrats can't even come up with a coherent narrative about why they're not good. Can't even tell us why we shouldn't feel like Trump is doing a very, very good job with this. And he's also got other plans. I mean, you know, are, are you hearing about the workforce training initiative that he's put out there? Play clip six. More than four million Americans are going to receive job training under our new workforce initiative. Manufacturing, consumer and business confidence has reached the highest level in the history of our country. I'd say that's pretty good. You know, a lot of the numbers he's talking about, he said consumer confidence, manufacturing, uh, unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, black unemployment. He's not just talking about the lowest in a while. We're not just talking about strong numbers on the economy in a relative sense or in a near historical sense, near term historical sense. We're talking about ever. So how can that be explained? Oh, it, it just you know, I, I've actually heard some people say recently, well, it's just the continuation of the Obama economy. Yeah, right. We saw the Obama economy for eight years. Remember what the first remember what the first couple of years were like after we were being told, yeah, you know, the country's never really going to have strong GDP growth again. It's going to be kind of just limping along. And they were downgrading our expectations for our future as a means of explaining away Obama's failures to be a, a failures on the economy. And those failures just come from a, a philosophy that is hostile to business, hostile to individual achievement, hostile to. People being able to pursue their dreams through their own means in the in the market. Yeah, that's individual initiative and keeping the the fruit of your labor without the government. I believe in the uh, Declaration of Independence, as they refer to as you know eating out our substance. Uh, that was what the Brits were doing to the the colonies, and you know we don't want that now either. We really don't. You know, Trump has got workforce training. By the way, you've got 155 million people employed in the country right now, which is a record. Um, you've got 157,000 jobs in July, 37,000 manufacturing jobs. The U6 unemployment rate is the lowest it's been since 2001. I could go on and on and on. Wages have started to rise, very tough for wages to rise, and it has to do with outsourcing and globalism and productivity, and or globalization, rather. Globalism, Illuminati. Uh, but, no, gl- globalization, and there's a lot of factors in play. But I, I'm looking at these numbers, I'm looking at what's going on, and, you know, you, you can try to argue that, but you'll lose. You know, you can try to say that something that this has nothing to do with Trump. I mean, that, that's where we are now, folks. Only with this president do you hear the following. Oh, well, his Russia policies are actually very firm and and taking Russia to task and holding them to account. But he's not responsible for that. It's happening in spite of him. Oh, the economy is booming and unemployment is super low. And it looks like we're heading into new a new era of incredible prosperity right now. But it has nothing to do with Trump. That's happening in spite of him, they say. It's just pathetic, right? In what other circumstance do you have people saying that a president should not be judged by what is happening in the country during his administration? I will keep returning to this. They've got 
they've just got nothing. They've got nothing. And and one of the reasons that they've got nothing is because Trump's got their number. I really like this line, by the way. This was when he was in Pennsylvania at that rally. Play four. For generations, Pennsylvania Steel and Pennsylvania Coal made this state the center of the industrial world. The workers of Scranton and Bethlehem and Allentown and Wilkes-Barre were the backbone of American might. But the loyalty of our workers was repaid with betrayal. You were betrayed by our politicians. You were betrayed by the people that ran our country, but you're not betrayed anymore. Yeah, the people at the top weren't particularly concerned about American workers, and Trump saw that, and that's why he's president, folks. That and and the border. Workers and immigration that isn't all about everybody but Americans. <laughs> that's that's how Trump became president. So uh, we, we have a, a lot more to discuss here, but if you want to chat, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. I will return with some... Uh, Additional thoughts, not right away, but some additional thoughts on that New York Times writer. The more bad tweets. Oh, she hates cops, too. What a shock. They're not going to fire her because she's a liberal and she's a female and she's a minority. Uh, And then also Dinesh D'Souza will be joining. Talk about his movie. We'll have a great chat. That'll be coming up in just a bit. I love the taste of Black Rifle coffee, my friends. Tastes like freedom. But really, this is the coffee I drink every day, and I'm making converts here in the office. They thought, oh, I had to get my coffee from a bunch of commie lefties, right? The people that are all about lattes and voting for Bernie Sanders must know more about the best roast. False. Black Rifle Coffee is delicious, and it's a company run by veterans who love this country and are building a great American brand. I get Black Rifle delivered to my front door. Couldn't be any easier. I get my K-Cups sent to me, and I'm also about to get the delivery of whole bean coffee, too, because I want to start making some French press stuff at home on my own. You can do all of these things when you go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You receive 15% off your order, and that's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. 15% off, folks. Check it out this weekend. Go do it. Trust me. You'll love this site. You'll love this company and this coffee. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Donald Trump wins the presidency. So help me God. They say he's killing America. There will be a vote to impeach. They say he's a racist. This was a white lash. And a fascist. Who are the real racists? Who are the real fascists? A nation dies when its people are not free. That is from the trailer of the new Death of a Nation. Can we save America a second time? We have the filmmaker, Mr. Dinesh D'Souza, with us now. He is, of course, a best-selling author, columnist, uh, filmmaker... All of the above. Dinesh, thanks for making some time for us. I know you got a lot going on. Uh, hey, it's great to be on the show. Very excited about the new movie. And, of course, there's a book of the same title. Also, Death of a Nation, out in stores. 
So tell me, tell me about the. Let's start with the basic premise, then we can drill into some of the details and also some of the the pushback uh, from some of the the media reviews, which I'm sure are not surprising to you at all, Dinesh. But let's just start with the the overall premise of this movie, so folks can know what they're getting into when they go see it. Well, the you know the movie poster basically morphs the head of Abraham Lincoln and Trump, and I think many people are surprised by it. Even some Republicans uh, do a double take on that. Like, How can you compare Trump to Lincoln now? You know, I'm not saying they're the same type of guy. And then Lincoln was, of course, brooding and philosophical, melancholy. Trump is none of that. Uh, but their situations have a kind of eerie similarity. I mean, uh, Lincoln was an outsider. Uh, he was elected in 1816, a three-man race, but he won very narrowly. And the moment that he was elected, even before he assumed the presidency, you may say all hell broke loose. I mean, in the North, Democrats were calling for him to be stabbed and for his assassination, which actually happened later. In the South, they were willing to break up the country rather than endure his election. So I don't think, I mean, we are facing some of that same craziness now. And by the way, it's the same party, the Democratic Party, that this time cannot abide the election of Trump, looking for any device, as they put it, by any means necessary to get rid of him. So this is the backdrop against which I made this movie, and I focus in the film on two things, racism and fascism, which are the two incendiary bombs that are dropped on Trump to try to prove that he's somehow, regardless of whether the American people support him, ineligible to be president. Now, how does the, let, let's start with racism. How do you, you tackle that in the movie um, and, and draw either parallels or just conclusions from, from history that affect the way that Trump, what happened with Lincoln then, now uh, affects Trump today. And it, What is the connective tissue there? Well, the connective tissue is this. That the Democratic Party um, is the party of bigotry. This seems like a shocking thing to say because, of course, Democrats present themselves as the opposite. They're the party of civil rights. Well, wait a minute. The Democratic Party is the party of the old slave plantation. I mean, Lincoln recognized that. Uh, after slavery, the Democrats became the party of segregation. Uh, every segregation law in the South was passed by a Democratic legislature, signed by a Democratic governor. Um, the Democrats also started the Ku Klux Klan. The Republicans shut it down the first time. And then a progressive Democrat, Woodrow Wilson, showed a racist movie in the White House called Birth of a Nation. Uh, and that led to a national Klan revival. So the sort of second Ku Klux Klan uh, was, according to progressive historian Eric Foner, quote, uh, the domestic terrorist arm of the Democratic Party, end quote. So this is our actual history. Even when you come to the civil rights movement of the 1960s, it was Republicans who got those laws passed. More Republicans proportionally voted for those laws. If the Congress had been made up solely of Democrats, uh, neither the Civil Rights Act of 1964 nor the Voting Rights Act of 1965 would have gotten through. So this is the actual history. It's not taught that way because a lot of the narrative is spun by progressives who are eager to minimize the culpability of the Democratic Party. But that's history the way it is, and that's the history I tell both in the book and the movie. Yeah, and, and Dinesh, to this uh, this point about the, the history, I... People don't seem I, I see the challenges against you. I've seen some of them up close and personal recently, but but people don't tend to say that what your the history you're presenting in this project or in others is factually inaccurate. But they go into a fit of rage saying that it's unfair. It's unfair that you're telling these facts. What I think you? that's right. The only way that people are attacking me is by misdescribing what I'm actually saying. And uh, so, for example, it's now commonly set out there as a Washington Post article about this, basically saying 
Dinesh claims in his movie that Hitler was a liberal Democrat. Now, that's nonsense. I never say that. I don't even get close to saying that. What I do say, and this is actually the, the chilling historical truth, is that the Nazis and Hitler did get some of their disturbingly bigoted and even murderous schemes from American progressives and from the Democratic Party. This is dramatized in my movie. You see a group of senior Nazis sitting around the table. They have in their hands the democratic laws of the Jim Crow South. They're using those laws as a model for their own Nuremberg laws, which made Jews into second-class citizens. So, But this is actually right from the transcripts of the historical record. I'm relying on the work of an eminent Yale legal scholar, James Whitman, and his book, Hitler's American Model, where he describes all of this in kind of lurid and excruciating detail. So, again, no one questions my sources. They can't. So instead of attacking what I actually say, they go, oh, gee, Dinesh is saying that Hitler was a liberal Democrat. That's prima facie absurd. This is the way the left is trying to discourage people from actually reading my book, actually seeing my movie, and then thinking about it. I don't know if you've ever if you've seen the interview with Professor Jordan Peterson and the BBC interviewer where she just t- dozens of times comes back to you, well, what you're really saying is, and he has to say, no, that's not what I'm really saying. It seems like that's what ends up happening <laughs> uh, you to know, you. I, I so know that feeling. And it's, it's Wait, Dinesh, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're having a little trouble hearing you. Can you get a little closer to your phone there? Everyone's going to want to hear what you're saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that better? Yes, yeah, much better. There. So you're saying the Charlottesville narrative, and this is big. People want to hear what you're saying here. Go ahead. Yeah, what I was saying is that the Charlottesville narrative, I mean, the Charlottesville tragedy was a tragedy. Obviously, a person got killed and run over. I don't dispute the tragedy in the slightest. What I'm disputing is the ideological meaning of Charlottesville. And what the left basically says is, look, all those guys, those white nationalists, they're right-wingers. And therefore, bigotry today is on the right. And what I do is I dispute this. I show that Jason Kessler, the organizer of the Charlottesville white supremacist rally, is an Obama activist and an Occupy Wall Street activist, a left-winger. So you then may ask, wow, you know, how does an Obama voter, an Obama activist, become a white supremacist? Something seems really fishy. Um, And the media knew about this at the time. I mean, it was reported on the Southern Poverty Law Center website, but they suppressed it because it was inconvenient to their Charlottesville narrative. And in the movie, Buck, I interview Richard Spencer, the, the poster boy of white supremacy, and I, we just get into his politics in, in some detail, and it becomes sort of dismayingly obvious as you listen to him that this guy is not only on the left, he's on the far left. I ask him simple things like, do you, mean, do you, do you believe all men are created equal? No. Uh, do you believe our rights come from God? No. Well, who do our rights come from? Where, where do we get them? Well, our rights come from the state. Where else can we get them? The state is the source of all rights. It becomes clear this guy's a collectivist. He believes in the all-powerful state. I ask him, what do you think of Reagan? Terrible president. Who are your favorite presidents? And he names a bunch of Democrats, starting with Andrew Jackson. And then I say, well, these are Democrats. And he goes, well, party, who cares about party? And I go, well, Jackson's the founder of the Democratic Party. So what really, again, for the audience, it's eye-opening, because you suddenly realize that this guy, who is routinely described as a right-winger, is not a right-winger at all. He's no conservative. He's, you know, he's in a sense a pawn of the big lie. And so I think what I'm trying to do in the movie is, is not just through argument, but through investigative reporting, through the horse's mouth, enable people to see the way in which not only bad things have been done by the Democrats, but then progressive scholars and historians have covered this stuff up 
And we have to we have to confront the reality of America today. We're dealing not just with fake news, but fake scholarship and fake history. Death of a Nation is the film, everybody. It's in a, a thousand theaters across the country. Uh, Dinesh, uh, will there be a plan for a further rollout? People will eventually be able to download this. Where should people go also to find out more information? Yes, obviously, eventually it'll it'll come out in home box office and so on. But don't wait for that. I would urge people to go see it soon. Go see it this weekend. Really, the fate of a movie depends on the opening weekend and the opening week. Because if our movie does well, it explodes to more theaters. It spreads out to more people. So take your family and friends and go see it. And this is how you see it. Go to tickets.deathofanationmovie.com. So tickets.deathofanationmovie.com. And if you enjoy the movie, there's a book of the same title out in the bookstores. All right, everybody, go check it out for yourselves. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, thanks so much for making the time, sir. Good to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. My pleasure. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. That was not a security meeting yesterday. Let me throw a penalty flag here. And that was not a red light. That was the White House using a bunch of people so for the next two months they can use a talking point that said, hey, every time somebody raises Russia to Sarah Sanders, she's going to say, look, the president directed those guys you saw and, and also those women you saw on the podium to go do something so about Russia. that was just a PR stunt. That was a mind. PR stunt. Give me a break. Yes. They well. got used. That's the dumbest thing I've heard on on TV in, in at least a couple of days, which is saying a lot. That's one of the uh, the favorite national security analysts over at CNN. By the way, when he used to go on, that's Phil Mudd. I, I know Phil a little bit. I've worked with him over there once or tw- once or twice, very peripherally. I mean, I've, I've spoken to the guy, you know, maybe two times in my life. But initially, he was like the way they brought me in, which was national security. This is counterterrorism investigations. But he realized if you want Zucker and the rest of the the higher-ups at CNN to like you, you have to be hashtag resistance. You have to be anti-Trump. And so he's now, he's the guy who was yelling about the S-hole countries, and, you know, he's gone completely full-on polemicist, pundit, you know, the whole thing. And his analysis there is just tainted by it because it's a moronic thing to say. It was a stupid thing to say. It's the White White House press conference with the heads of the most important intelligence agencies in the country, Going into some detail about the the reality of the threat from Russia, as well as other countries, by the way, and all the things that are going on right now, and what you know what they're trying to do to thwart it, and are, so are they all traitors, Mister Mudd? Are are they all in Trump's pocket? Do the Russians have something on all of them? I said last night on Shannon Bream uh, Shannon Bream's show that with Trump and Russia, he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, and and I said that last night, and here we have somebody who's actually coming out saying it. Oh, yeah, it was it was a PR stunt. Does anyone think for a moment that if Trump did not have the premier national security figures of his administration out there talking about this, they'd say, why doesn't he talk more about it? Why doesn't he talk more about Russia? Why does he talk about the threat to our democracy? These people are hacks. They they can't approach this issue with, with any honesty. They are hacks. It's just so frustrating. I mean, this is supposed to be an area where we all come together and we're on the same team and we're trying to stop Russia. And like I'm the one who's been telling you, and you're seeing more stories rolling out now, China is the real concern, folks. Anyone you hear is like, oh, Russia is all focused on Russia. That's just political hackery. 
If you should, if, if I'm going to tell you things, or if we're going to talk about things that should keep us worried from the perspective of what country is going to overtake us economically, have a much bigger population and a male-skewed population, young males without enough females, because of the one-child policy in China, folks, people don't often talk about this or, or think about this. That demographic reality alone is reason for serious concern when it comes to a major war. China! Well... And then there's Trump yelling China. But no, I'm, be, I'm being serious with you folks, though. I and mean, there's the, the, the Chinese, uh, the threat to, to our national security from China is a much more substantial one than what we have from Russia. But, you know, then you get the CNN analysts saying it's, it's a photo op. They're giving information to the public, and it was good information. And they say they're taking the steps that the Democrats pretend they want them. So now when, they t- now when they're saying what they're supposed to say, according to Democrats, Russia is still interfering. Russia is still a threat. They're saying what they're supposed to say. They're telling the American people what the Democrats want them to be doing, which is, oh, we're you know, working with state and local partnerships and all this other stuff. And it's still it's a photo op. It's, it's a scam. Everything Trump does is a scam. The unemployment numbers, which are incredibly low, scam. The GDP numbers, which are incredibly high, The fact that commerce and industry and capitalism are thriving and people are getting wealthier and doing better and scam. It's all a scam, folks. This is Trump derangement syndrome exemplified. Can't even have a press conference addressing in a very professional way with people who are career intelligence professionals what's been going on here with Russia and what they're doing to stop Russia and to to calm the American people's concerns, which have been wildly exaggerated in the media. Uh, and, and, and as you know, the media exaggerates both how concerned the, the American people are and tries to create exaggerated concern in the American people over the Russia election meddling threat. But even when, even when they hold a press conference like this, it's not good enough. It's a scam. It's a photo op. It's, these people cannot... They, Bill Mudd, on this issue just now, Unserious. Do not take him seriously. And this kind of unfocused, visceral anger at the other side are really neutral people like folks in the press corps. It can lead to this. They're not neutral. Look, according to today's Washington Post, President Trump has made 4,229 false or misleading claims in 558 days in office. It's an average of 7.6 a day. This is not normal. We shouldn't be in the business of just shrugging our shoulders and normalizing it. Normalizing. Nice progressive term there. You know, don't normalize Trump. He's the president, but this is not this is not normal. You know what also is not normal? See, if they're going to play the whole, oh, we're the, we're the... We're the guardians of truth when they're actually the enemy of truth. Uh, th- then I like to point out things like the following. Uh, the Washington Post fact checker claimed that when someone said that they wanted to squeeze Sarah Sanders' neck, or to, sorry, to wring her neck, that is, this was a fact check the Washington Post fact checker ran, Okay. Someone said that she wanted to wring Sarah Sanders' neck, and the 
And then when Sarah Sanders said somebody threatened to choke me or, or said they wanted to choke me, the fact checker said that Sarah Sanders was wrong. You see, because wringing somebody's neck and choking them are not the same thing, according to the Washington Post. Folks, this is what we're talking about. This is where you get these smug, snide punks, these jackasses just down the street from me at places like the Washington Post who are all, oh, we're about truth and we're just being fair and neutral press corps. How do people even say this garbage? A neutral press corps. Does anyone think that a single person at ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC that has their own show voted for Trump and is pro-Trump? Someone's going to be like, well, Buck, there's somebody who's on at 8 a.m. on Sundays uh, once a month uh, when there's like not a baseball game. I mean, No, I mean that you can actually think of off the top of your head. I mean, someone that we would know, we would know who it is. By the way, Mike, let me know if we, I, I, we got Anna Navarro, who I think is the worst political analyst on TV, which is saying something. Uh, the least informative, the least insightful, uh, and also as, as just, as a person, very rude and, and uh, n- not, not pleasant to work with or be around. Uh, do we have the clip of, no- uh, well, well, we'll, we'll get there. I'll, I'll come back into that when I can. But this notion of the neutral press corps, I mean, this is what got me so, so riled up yesterday. And I really haven't, I haven't shaken it off. I'm still sitting here thinking to myself, this is just, they're just, they're just lying to you. They're lying to me. They're lying to you. And they're not backing off any of this. They're not backing off. Oh, okay. Here, here we go. Like, here's another. So, so notice they call out Trump for lying, but that's what they say. Oh, he lies seven times a day. But then when you see what the Washington, Washington Post considers a lie, they're lying about lies. You know, they, they like to do this. This is an, a new game with journalists because there's so much about facts. There's so much about truth where they, they become obtuse hyper literalists. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I, had a, I actually had an exchange with the Washington Post journalist and he was like, well, you, you know, what you said is not specifically true. And I responded, or, you know, he said there's been literally endless coverage of something. What you said is not true. And I responded, well, it's not literally endless, jackass. So what you said is not true. I can do. Th- I can play this game too. If we if we want to forget how spe- people actually speak and what what the message of what they're conveying is, and pretend that we're going to take everything absolutely literally word for word, then we're going to have to change our our way of communicating, right? You know, if I say, "Oh man," you know, I I don't know. I, I I'm I'm so I'm so tired. I don't think I can get up out of bed tomorrow. It's I'm not I'm not threatening suicide, right? I'm just saying I'm really tired. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just people are idiots. They're so and, and they like to play this game. They think because they can't they can't attack Trump on his accomplishments as president. They can't at- attack Trump in in open debate on these issues and not have him spank them like a bunch of little children. So what they do is say, well, he's just not he's not factual. He's not factual. It's not true. It's not true. It's not factual. So well, what's he saying that's not factual? That's not true. They think that an opinion that they disagree with is a lie. And there are others. This is a common thing. CNN, Washington Post. They think that someone's saying, you know, I don't believe North Korea is a threat anymore or North Korea is not a threat anymore. OK, you can say that that's not true, but that's a statement of opinion. Because there's no actual factual basis for whether North Korea could not be a threat today and tomorrow we could be in the midst of a nuclear war. You know, th- these are 
These are opinions that we, that people are giving that they're saying are factually incorrect. Here's another, but here's a, a, a fun opinion if we're going to talk about things that aren't true and aren't accurate. This is on The View. Anna Navarro, I think, is apparently, is she now on The View permanently? I mean, not that I watch The View, but gosh. Uh, Megan, if you're listening, we gotta, we're going to have to have to get you some, some time to do some yoga or some relaxation techniques. I don't know how you can put up with Anna Navarro every day. That's just, but we'll see. Um, here, here's Anna Navarro and Megan going back and forth on The View on this notion of, oh, yeah, CNN, that's right. A lot of really respected Trump people over there who are treated with respect. Play it. CNN tries to be very balanced. CNN has commentators on like me, and every time I'm on, I'm on against somebody that is defending Trump. CNN tries to be very balanced. I mean, is she delusional? I know they're writing, I know they're writing paychecks for her. And I, I generally think that, you know, it's unfair. And this is something, by the way, people do this to me sometimes when they disagree with me. They say, oh, well, you know, why, won't you, why don't you criticize Fox News? I'm like, well, one, I've never been paid a dollar by Fox News. But two, I, I like Fox News and respect it. And I and I agree with I agree with what they're doing. I agree with their approach to the news. That's why I don't I don't criticize. And I'm honest about that. I don't pretend to be like, well, I I wake up every day. I read CNN. I read Fox, and I make a judgment call about who I think has done a better job with the news that day. I mean, you know, I'm I already know what CNN is doing. But this notion that CNN tries to be balanced. I mean, Navarro. Oh boy, that's a funny one. Yeah, who are, who are the uh, the the Trump defenders that are on air? You'll notice nobody. When was the last time that they put? Oh, let's just run through some people here. That would be. When was the last time they put Ben Shapiro on air or Dan Bongino on air or um, Ben Dominich over at the Federalist or Sean Davis at the Federalist or, uh, you know, Vince Colonese from the Daily Caller or I mean, I'm, I'm just running off the top of my head here. But I mean, all the uh, any of those folks. On, in a debate segment at, C, at CNN. When was the last time you saw that? Oh, that's right. That doesn't happen. Why is that? Now, you could say, Buck, maybe maybe they won't take it. Um, I'd be willing to bet right now, and I could probably tweet. I could not just tweet him. I could text Dan. I bet if they offered to have a debate between Dan Bongino and any, uh, and any anchor at CNN, he'd take it up in a heartbeat. They won't do it because they're scared. They won't do it with me anymore. They went from, you know, oh, you know, we'll put you on like a third tier show sometimes and you can talk national security and, you know, we'll pay you a pittance to do it to uh, now they realize, uh uh-uh, no, if if, if I'm not if I'm not professionally attached to the organization, I will verbally skewer people over there. And they know that. So I I don't even they don't even bother anymore. They used to bother about last CNN invite I got was. um, but remember, there are invites and there are invites. I never get asked to come on. I would never get asked to come on one-on-one with any of these anchors, ever. That's too dangerous for them. They know that. What they'll do is they'll put you on a panel with two or three other people, and then you just don't get much time to talk, get shouted down, and the whole thing is essentially an ambush. And you'll get talked over, and the anchor will disagree with you, and they'll misconstrue what you say. And you know, that, That's what, yeah, maybe they'll let me do that. But, you know, me versus Tapper? Me versus Cooper, me versus Lemon, never, never on any of these issues. They would get smoked. They would get schooled. They know that, right? They know that there's no future for them in having to actually defend the ideas that they propagate through this pretense of neutral or objective news. 
And they're losing ground here. This is different. There is a sea change that's in effect right now that I hope continues on. We're not there yet, but uh, CNN and some of these other places are, are, are really no longer able to continue with this facade of, oh, we're just, we're just like journalists, man. People, people are really catching on in a way that I hope they'll never forget. And I hope this is the beginning of the end for all of these uh, so-called journalistic outfits that hide behind this, uh, this lie of objectivity when they are partisan. They're actually, they're not just partisan, they're activists. I mean, the New York Times has even published, hey, you know, Obamacare might get repealed, or I think it was Obamacare. Here are the numbers of people you should call. Huh? Like members of Congress. I mean, that's activism. I mean, the New York Times is, is, is engaged in full-on activism sometimes, and, and I just... I'm not having it, folks. I'm not having it anymore. Not, not playing the game. Um, I am through playing the game their way, at least. And we'll see. Um, and you know, the, the good news is that I think in this digital era we are in, um, in this era of digital uh, mass communication... The people are key and the democratization of media platforms that is occurring right now will be a very good. It'll be a very good thing for me. Very good thing for people who do their own work, do their own research, bring something substantive to the table. And for the overly tanned, overly hairsprayed alpha news anchors like uh, what's that guy's name? Brian Williams. I was going to say Brian Jennings, different guy. Uh Brian Williams, um, not going to be the the future is is I think pretty bleak actually, because that that whole that whole sketch uh, sketch that whole skit that premise of the objective newsman I, I think it's going away. I hope that it does. All right, third, I want to talk to you about how Trump is doing with the African American community. We'll also talk a bit about racism and whether racism can be anti white. Uh, here's a, oh, I mentioned the Washington Post before, by the way, here's how, cause they're so objective. Remember what I told you yesterday about that woman at the New York times who said all the terrible anti-white stuff, their piece today says this, an Asian American woman, this is the Washington Post, an Asian American woman's tweets ignite a debate. Is it okay to make fun of white people online? Yeah, that's what she was doing. Just making fun of white people. Ha ha. It was all such a joke, right? No, the joke is the Washington Post. But we will get into all this and uh, much more. And, of course, some roll calls. So stay right there. To all the business owners out there and people that work in HR, folks, I just want to say that if you are looking for somebody for your business, I don't care what business it is, large or small, you need to make sure that the person you're bringing into your company that's going to be in your workplace is uh, squared up with the law, is who they say they are, has no problems, has no red flags in their background. Global Verification Network is the only help you need to answer all of those questions. Global Verification is the only dual-certified and veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. Look, I know Mark Buckman, the CEO, personally. This is the guy that I call up sometimes when I've got a question about cybersecurity, when I want to just run something by him as a sanity check. He is an expert, and his risk mitigation folks are the best you can find. Trust me, if you have any need of background investigations or vetting, go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small step. 
Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Man attacked on bus for being white. That's the headline here, folks, from Fox 5 New York. In my hometown, New York City, cops are looking for a guy who attacked a stranger for being white. This is according to the police. Uh, This guy walked up to someone, punched him in the face, making an anti-white comment. uh, And the attacker then got off the bus. They don't know anything about it yet. Um, I think what's fascinating about this is that they don't call this racist. (laughs) Isn't that amazing, folks? Isn't that astonishing? So you can be assaulted in this country now because someone does not like the color of your skin. As long as it is white, they will not call that racist. They will just call it anti-white or attacked for being white. And this is a reflection. I know you could say, Buck, why are you talking about this, this local crime story? You know, this what does this have to do with ending? No, 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 no. This is, in fact, a reflection of exactly what I've been talking to you about here. This is a reflection of this idea that is very common among progressives, that is very widespread on the left, that you should, that that there's no such thing as anti-white racism. This has now become something that you see in the culture in coming out in many different ways. This is not something that's just a, a progressive pundits or, or others say this is the this is the reality of how newspapers report on this and sometimes even how the law treats these things. You know, sometimes it's even a function of uh, when you look deeper into this, you find out that they they won't even press hate crime charges against somebody for an anti-white attack. And, and I feel like given, given what's going on with the New York Times in the last 24 hours, it's, it's worth taking a look at, at some of this. It's, it's worth uh, looking a little deeper and see how we could be in this place. By the way, in case you were wondering, Jong, who is this woman who just got hired um, by the New York Times, and that they, they stayed, they stayed with her. Right. They're not firing her. It's not just uh, the anti-white comments for, you know, here and there that got her in trouble. Uh, You have her saying things like that. This has come out today. F the police. Cops are a holes. Uh, All kinds of anti-cop profanity. Uh, She she refers to, as I said, uh, blank the police and then. Um, oh, also, she wrote "Kill more men" uh, in response to somebody. I mean, this woman is is her Twitter account. It's not that she's woke. It's not that she made a mistake. It seems like she's deranged. It's now a New York Times editorial member, the most uh, prestigious in its own mind, at least newspaper in the country, has hired this person and and kept her on board. And I I, I think that we are allowed to ask the question if. You know, break this down into layers. You know, let, let's do some real analysis of, of the concept here. Yeah, I reject the notion there's anti there's no such thing as anti-white racism. 
But as we see, as it's reported, you know, well, you can be attacked for, you know, it's anti-whiteness, but it's not racism. Let's let's unpack why they think this is the case. Um, And I would also note that one thing that you don't you don't ever hear the media talking about this. There were race riots under Obama. Now, I know it's early in the Trump administration, but there haven't been any race riots under Trump. And to be told constantly that the uh, that that race relations in the country right now are so much worse because of Trump than they've previously been. I sit here and I think to myself, well, I, I don't really see the the Black Lives Matter movement is not out in the streets, largely agitating. It was largely agitation that was going on. And I'll debate that premise with anyone because I saw the rallies myself. I was there. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? Things like that were said. Cops are racist murderers. It was not. We just want police reform. That's not what the movement was. It wasn't what it was telling people. And maybe that's what they were hoping for. But that wasn't what they were saying. You know, do words have meaning or not? But let's let's step back and look at this premise. There's no such thing as anti-white racism. New York Times has made that abundantly clear. They do not believe that's a thing. As I told you yesterday, this is because the left views all race relations as existing within a a hierarchy. And this is true of also just different groups of people in general. But everything is about intersectionality and where you fall on this scale. And it's about degrees of oppression. And if you are at the very top of the oppression pyramid, as they say, white males are in our society, it is impossible for someone to engage in racism against you. They have they have actually redefined the term racism. Racism no longer means you know, negative judgments or treatment on the basis of skin color or race. Racism is now some progressive, well, it has to do with hierarchies of power and everything. Okay, fine. I want to know what we should teach kids about race and racism now when it comes to white people. I mean, I, I want to know how far they really take this. Uh, I want to know what the limits are, because if white privilege results in constant oppression, uh, are we supposed to then be pleased? In fact, is it just to be unjust to white people in American society because of all of the injustice that whiteness perpetrates all the time? I think there are a lot of progressives who wouldn't want to answer that question the affirmative publicly, but absolutely believe it. They absolutely believe it. And, and I remember, and I, I, some of you may even know where I'm going with this one, but I remember hearing from friends of mine uh, and hearing from people that I knew well, including some friends of mine who were black at, at the time and then years after as well, that the whole notion of, of the OJ trial, for example, uh, was was it was not just the idea of, of racism in American society that O.J. couldn't get a fair trial, even though he was the guiltiest human being anybody could have ever conjured up. Right. But that it was payback, that there was some justification for him uh, slaughtering the mother of his own children uh, with a with a knife and, and brutally murdering her uh, and also a, a random stranger, by the way. But they were both white. And there was this notion that uh, this was payback. I was told this. By people, well, it, 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 it's payback for racism. And I think you can all see how that goes down a very dangerous and destructive path very quickly. And I look at where what the state of race relations are right now in this country as 
put forward by progressives, as put forward by the left. And I think to myself, they're now openly saying that whiteness is almost an affliction, that whiteness is something for which you must be sorry and and you have to uh, be penitent for your whiteness. And if that's the case, I also want to know, well, then should we also suffer? Is suffering just for being white now an acceptable situation? And a lot of people on the left are saying that it is. A lot of people are, are, are making claims that could only lead you to believe it. That is what they think. Uh, and, and the closer you, I mean, here, here's, here's, for example, um, what a, a woman who's a New Yorker writer, another very prestigious publication, wrote today on Twitter, Sarah Jong will outright outthink and outlast all you MFers, but good luck being fragile, racist, misogynist. When they refer to fragility, by the way, this is another term. This is another buzzword on the left. It's white fragility, that white people are fragile. This is a term. If you are not yet acquainted with it, that's, I'm glad to, to bring you into the, the bowels of the progressive status left. They'll refer to white fragility as a means of saying, oh, it's, it's essentially them calling white people snowflakes, right? Uh, which also I would note, is a racist term that used to be used on a pretty you know, regular basis. People, white people were referred to snowflakes. That's been lost. Now snowflake, I understand the definition or the, the, the terminology has changed, and now we use snowflake to be somebody that's easily offended in general. Uh, but snowflake and other words certainly evolve with usage, but this notion of white fragility is just that white people, when they object to things like white privilege or when they object to affirmative action— when they object to negative treatment on account of their skin color, that's not evidence of them just being normal and not thinking that's fair and understanding that's immoral and that that's not uh, that's not justifiable. Uh, that's evidence of their fragility, white fragility. I mean, if you go and you do a you do a quick Google search, you will see this term popping up and you'll see how it is. In fact, there's a white fragility wiki. Uh, the New Yorker, on July 23rd, 2018, a sociologist examines white fragility. This is, I'm telling you, folks, this is the new term. White fragility, why it's so hard for people to talk about racism. It just goes down and down. Essentially, now, if you don't agree with the left's completely uh, irrational, unreasonable, self-refuting conceptions of race and race relations in this country. Things like, well, it's okay to discriminate against Asian people in college admissions. Why? Well, we haven't really figured out the why, but we know it's okay because we say so. Oh, all right. It's okay to be nasty to white people, to assault them, to hurt them because they're white. Well, it's not that it's okay, but it's not that bad, and it's not racism because, you know, white people are in this hierarchy they've constructed. I mean, they, this stuff, this stuff is, is garbage thinking. But they are coming. The sugar-coated language of white fragility, the Huffington Post. A cure for white fragility, the Pacific Standard. White fragility and the rules of engagement. And just you, you do a search, you'll see this term. This is, this is a new thing, folks. It was white privilege. And now that people are pushing back on white privilege, it's white fragility. Ah, and, and, and then they tell us, well, let's just have a constructive conversation on race. The fact of the matter is that the, the left, because it has... No moral philosophical underpinnings because it really just seeks self-righteousness and 
self-actualization through power can just can change its beliefs on a dime can can be in a constant state of both hypocrisy as i always tell you hypocrisy is a defining characteristic uh, characteristic of the left and also self-refuting ideology meaning that they believe one thing here which means they can't believe it there but they'll believe it there anyway because they don't care because it wor- it works that day and that at that point in time Uh, contradictory beliefs, hypocritical beliefs and contradictory beliefs. That's what you have with the left and particularly the issue of race and racism. Uh, The, the, the speed with which they have acted like uh, this writer Jong is somehow covered by the discrimination and the, uh, the historical experience of African-Americans. They just say, well, you know, it's, it's all this, uh, a person of color. So so she's allowed to do this because she's Asian now. That's she's allowed to act in this way and, and be a maniac on Twitter without consequence. I'm telling you, this is it's going to get worse and you're going to see this term white fragility more. And it's something that we need to stamp out. It's it's a, a term a conjured up by cowards and idiots in order to silence people that are better than themselves. And we can't let this become a part of discourse that is unchallenged. All right, I'll be right back. African-American, so many others, I said, what do you have to lose? You have high crime rates, you have horrible education, you have this. I went through a list of 10. That's what happened. African-American, Hispanic, Asian. You have the lowest level of unemployment in the history of our country. What? How does somebody fight that, right? How does somebody fight it? To be honest... This is probably going to be the, and I'm saying this at this table, the most pro-black president that we've had in our lifetime. Because, and I try to, you know, analyze the people that I encounter. This president actually wants to prove something to our community, our faith-based community and our ethnic community. The last president didn't feel like he had to. He felt like he didn't have to prove. He got a pass. This president, is, is this administration is probably going to be more proactive regarding urban revitalization and prison reform than any president in your lifetime. President Trump has been making overtures from the very beginning to the black community. And, and I really do believe that he is hoping to prove, uh, prove his good faith to the black community in this country through results. And I think... It, there, there's some reason to believe there's some evidence to show that this is starting. This message is starting to get through. Uh, for ex- I, I believe that his according to the latest Rasmussen poll on this, look, his, his support among African-Americans is tiny. All right. It's it's small or relatively speaking to. Well, I mean, it's basically what a lot of Republicans have. But I'm saying it's it's a it's a fraction of, of overall African-Americans in the country. It's something on the on the order of. Uh, 10 or 12 percent, I think. And I th- and according to the most recent Rasmussen poll, which I'm trying to find right now as I'm on air, but I, I I'm pretty sure I read it earlier today. I, I have to read a lot of stuff. Uh, it's basically doubled. You know, it's now somewhere in the in the low 20s, um, which is substantial. I mean, Republicans have always have had a hard time. Uh, they've had a hard time bringing the black community onto their side of the of the aisle. And I just think that 
The numbers right now don't lie. I mean, Hispanic unemployment is at a record low. Black unemployment is at a record low. And when you when you listen to all the all the people talking about how Trump is he's so racist, he's so racist. Uh, I I just think to myself, why why do they come up with this narrative and never give me any of the details of what he has done that makes him a race? By the way, that's a terrible charge, isn't it? This is thrown around by the media. I mean, people will go on CNN and freely say that the president is a racist. He's a misogynist. They'll say these things denigrating the current commander in chief, denigrating the president of the United States. And they don't feel the least bit strange about it. By the way, there's one more thing here. I, this, this is a black veteran who I, I wish this would this would go viral. Uh, this is a black veteran slamming Democratic Councilwoman Melissa Schlag. Because she was kneeling during the national anthem. Here's what this black veteran had to say. Play clip one. That your right to protest, to take a knee, to lay down, to burn the flag, to do whatever it is that you show, please. Okay? But if that's what you would like to do, do that on your own time. When you become a selected, an elected official, you become a representative of all of Adam and all the constituencies. There's a reason why the lady that represents justice has scales in one hand and sword in the other in a blindfold. She does not look to see who she's going to stand just for and who not. But unfortunately, one of us elect persons decided to pull down the blindfold and start peaking. Okay? That said, you ran as a Democrat. But once you became elected, unfortunately, you have to represent all of your constituencies. Last week and this week, you told at least half the town, I don't care whether I offend you, and I am going to act on my win. Powerful stuff there from a veteran, an American, and a member of the black community. I I thought that was something worth hearing before we get closer to our weekend, folks. Uh, We will be back in just a moment. He's holding the line. For America, Buck Sexton is back. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about this in today's briefing. Her first answer was a recounting of the responsibilities of the press. So they tried again. Look, while we support that or not? While we certainly support freedom of the press, we also support freedom of speech. uh, And we think that those things go hand in hand. Joining us now, New York Times Chief White. You know, we're not going to air that anymore. Let's make that the last Sarah Huckabee Sanders clip ever, ever? aired at 4 o'clock. Ever. Yeah, that's it. You know what? It makes me sweat. That is vile. Well, I, I, you know. Well, and the previous answer. <laughs> the, 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 the previous answer this that is we did. someone didn't... who complains about a restaurant right. that exercises their First Amendment exactly. right to kick out someone that they think is obliterating Democratic norms. I, I, seriously, that made me sweat. What the, what the heck is this obliterating democratic norms talking point that you keep hearing from imbeciles like Nicole Wallace? What, what does that even mean? Democratic norms. That the president has to agree with you? 
Civility's been a one-way street with Democrats for decades. Now, finally, we have a president who's like, you know what? Not playing that game anymore. You slap at me, I'm going to slap back. No more turning the other cheek for the commander-in-chief. And then they talk about about things like, oh, undermining our democratic norms, undermining our institutions, putting our democracy at risk. How? How? You know, what the cowards at the enemy of the truth media, also known as CNN, won't tell you or don't want to talk about is that Obama used the Justice Department to to make sure that there were no leaks about how craptacular his national security policy was. That's why they went on to all the different agencies, more prosecutions under the Espionage Act than every other president before Obama combined and included in at least one indictment, a a Fox News reporter. As a co-conspirator and also pulled pulled phone records of reporters, I mean, just did things that were beyond the pale of what we expect for. You know, if you want to talk about a free press, that's threatening a free press. Calling Jim Acosta a clown is not threatening anything. Jim Acosta is a clown. Why is this so hard for these morons to figure out? He is not somebody that we all have to sit around and clap for because he's doing such a hard job. These are not hard jobs, folks. I've been deployed to two war zones with members of the United States military. I was assisting them as a civilian. I saw what they were doing. That's a hard job. I worked in the NYPD. I saw what those guys were and gals were doing day in and day out. That's a hard job. Wearing a suit and sitting in the White House and getting to ask questions and be on TV is a privilege. And any one of those people, and this is what, they're, they're this noxious combination in the elite echelons of media of tremendous arrogance and tremendous insecurity. So you, you never really know what you're dealing with, right? They, they, they think they're amazing, but deep down, and they want everyone to treat them like that, but deep down they know that they're completely replaceable and not a person of, of much substance at all. And Nicole Wallace, I mean, the fact that she was formerly uh, you know, a, a Republican, I don't know if she still considers herself a, a Republican, but she just goes on MSNBC and does the liberals bidding for them. I mean, how does she feel about that? She really feels good. You know, she 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 was such a conservative or she believes so much in the GOP that now she's willing to go to the other side and cheer for the other team. Ah, folks, this stuff, this cannot be allowed to, to continue on like this. We, we, we need to fight. We need to fight back. You know, saying that she's going to ban the White House press secretary. From being on a show. First of all, it's a, it's a completely idle threat. I mean, it's totally. But, you know, to say that it was vile and, and to pile on with Sarah Sanders. What was Sarah Sanders really going to do in that press conference with Acosta? I mean, this is. By the way, can I get a buck slap, John, for Nicole Wallace here? I, I need some kind of a. For her comments. Yeah! Exactly. Um, I, I got to say, you know. What was what was Sarah Sanders going to say? I, I'm going to undermine the president. I'm going to say what he said was wrong. She's his spokesperson. The president speaks for himself. She speaks for the White House on matters of policy. This isn't supposed to be a gotcha game. She goes out there and reporters are playing gotcha all day. They think that's speaking truth to power. They're not asking important questions about policy in many cases. Sometimes they are. I'm not going to look. You know, I'm focusing on the bad behavior because the bad behavior is what overwhelms everything else. Now, yeah, there are journalists who do good stuff. I saw my buddy Sagar from uh, the Daily Caller over at Fox last night. We were on the Shannon Bream show together, or, or right one after the other, not together, but we were at the same show. 
And, you know, he asked a very good question in, in the White House press briefing. And then I'm seeing all these people that'll just they'll just pile on and say the Daily Caller is not real journalists. I'm like, the Daily Caller's got a lot of really smart, hardworking, talented people. Um, oh, m- m- producer Mike just told me that Wallace calls herself a non-practicing Republican. Yeah, no crap. You're a non-practicing Republican. You're a, you're a turncoat, actually. People are turncoats for paychecks, folks. Lots of them over at MSNBC. Turncoats on the GOP, turncoats on conservatism. They should they should not be welcomed back into the echelons of power of the party ever, ever. We should remember this moment. We got roll call coming up. We'll have some fun. You know, we did a story today on my TV show about dogs that are a little pudgy. And pudgy dogs are cute, but it's bad for them. It's unhealthy. But just because a dog's pudgy doesn't mean it can't dig. You know, it might just make the hole a little bigger. And if you've got a yard and you got a fence, I don't care if Fido's put on some extra LBs. If he wants to, he'll start digging and he'll make the hole so that he can get out. And now you got a problem on your hands, all right? Don't let your pet, skinny or fat, slip through the fence, okay? Dig defense is what you need. It is genius. It extends the protection of your fence underground. You install it at the base of any fence, and it will protect both your pet and your property. No more chasing Fido's. He runs around once he gets outside the fence like he's on some kind of jailbreak show. None of that, all right? Stop the dig now with Dig Defense. It's available online at Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. For the month of August, use promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's right. Go to StopTheDig.com, promo code BUCK for 10% off. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party. Because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. I'm excited for Roll Call, excited for the weekend to come, my friends. Uh, Let me just note that the Raheem Kassam guest appearance in the podcast this week, I think, has gotten a lot of folks excited about the Freedom Hunt. If you are not a podcast listener, uh, I I think this is a good one for you to try. Try your first shot on this one. Uh, Try it and see what you think. It's so easy. You just go to Stitcher.com, and it's free. Type in... Uh, Freedom Hunt or the Buck Sexton Show, and you'll see it'll pop up there. Or on iTunes, you can listen that way. Uh, Raheem and I had a lot of fun talking about things. Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell will be back later this month on the uh, Freedom Hunt. I'm taking suggestions for guests next week. Send me your thoughts on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Okay, we have first up here, Stacy, who writes, Buck. I haven't heard you this fired up, but I can't agree with you more about the press. They are little crybabies. You're my hero for speaking speaking out about the things you do. Shields high. Well, thank you, Stacy. Uh, I I do feel passionately about this subject. I think that a lot of people in the press are, um, I don't know, they're just lacking in courage, decency, and virtue, and, and they need to be called out for it. I think there's a lot of punks in the media. I really do. Uh, they're not good. for, And I know them. I know who they are. So uh, it gets me particularly aggravated when I see them engaging in just a lot of public dishonesty. That's that's just meant to 
uh, advance their advance themselves in their own careers. Pablo next up here. Whoa, here we go. Pablo seven chipmunks turning on a branch, eating a lot of sunflowers on my uncle's ranch. You know, that old children's tale from the sea. It's like dreaming about gorgonzola cheese when it's clearly breed time, baby. Step into my office. There's something about Mary. Pablo, you are 100% right. Uh, I will see your quote and raise you one that came to mind as people in the gym were looking at me for laughing out loud as you busted out the above yesterday. You're making me look stupid, you panda jerk. Thanks for the laugh this morning. Shields high, brother. Well, Pablo, I'm glad you got a laugh out of that one. And uh, I don't know what you're making me look like. You're making me look stupid, you panda jerk. I don't know what that's from. So I'm gonna have to, uh, I'm gonna have to hit the man, hit the buzzer on that one. But uh, thank you for writing in, buddy. Always good to hear from you, my brother Darby from Texas. He's next up here. Uh, something about Mary. Yep, he got it right. Step into my office. You're fired. Ha! Well played, Buck. Well, thank you, thank you, sir. Well played for you too for getting it right. Next we have Lenny. Lanny writes, greetings from Arizona, Buck. First time ever watching your TV show today. I watched the interview you did with Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, wish you spoke up more than your co-host did. The interview hasn't even started, and that smug look she had was truly annoying and obnoxious. I give credit to Dinesh for keeping it cool and collected the whole time. Enjoy your weekend and Shields High uh, from Lanny. Uh, Lanny, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really know that there was going to be quite the amount of tension in that interview that there was. Uh, with Dinesh and Crystal. And, and I can tell you that when you're in a co-host position with somebody and you're not on the same team ideologically, it can be a very delicate thing uh, because if, if she feels like I'm jumping in to take Dinesh's side, that could make the situation more tense. And then all of a sudden you got TV that's going off the rails. Uh, and, and also I would say that Dinesh needs no one's help and, and didn't need my help, clearly. So it wasn't a uh, it was not the 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 interview did not go as planned in that sense. And and I am I'm glad that we've uh, got a chance to talk about a little bit here. Uh, I I don't really this is the tough part of doing a left right show is when one person is particularly uh, ideologically opposed to a certain guest. How do you handle that? Because if it turns into a two-on-one, that breaks down the whole dynamic of the show, which is that we're going to talk about it from both sides. But I did not get a chance to talk to Dinesh enough in the TV interview, which is why we've invited, which is why we invited him on radio. Uh, also, just because I wanted to talk to him on radio in general. Glenn writes, uh, Buck, I love hearing what you have to say on all the news happening every day, as well as your thoughts on the swamp and the swamp monsters, even though I listen to the podcast, so I'm a day behind. Since you love movie quotes so much, I have three quotes for you to guess. They all come from action movies. He's good with cooking knives. Uh, well, that's from Under Siege, obviously. Next one here is Ranger. Uh, Colonel, it's the Major. Thanks. I don't know any of those, man. You got me on those quotes. You guys are writing in really, really. I mean, Ranger, that's one. That's that's a quote. I mean, that's that's a word. I don't know if that's a quote. Thank you for all you do, Buck. I look forward to more Shields High and more of what you have to say. Glenn from uh, North Carolina. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for writing in. And yeah, I'm actually, even though it's a lot of work, I'm looking forward to getting the Shields High up and running again. Uh, it's just something I do for this audience. Like I said, I don't do enough of them that we can schedule, at least not yet, we can schedule uh, advertising on it. 
So it's it's just a it really is a labor of love. There is not there's no uh, capitalist impulse yet behind doing Shields High. Hopefully one day that will change, uh, but we will see. Uh, Jason writes, uh, got to be something about Mary, uh, something about Mary with the serial killer. My movie quote for you. How dare you, sir? Man, guys, you're, you're crushing me with these like very vague, short movie quotes today. I don't know. I don't know. How dare you, sir? It's, uh... Oh, you know what? Actually, I think I've got that one. And then does Harrison Ford return with how dare you, sir? And, and it's that's right. I got this one. It's uh, clear and present danger. Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford, the old Potomac two step, Jack. You're going to put this one away. Keep this card for later. It's a it's a great that's actually like a pretty memorable scene in that movie. I think that movie's good. The only part of clear and present danger that I really have a tough time with is when the deputy director of the CIA goes operational and is is carrying, you know, uh, carrying a weapon. And that doesn't happen, guys. I can tell you this right now that, you know, the the CIA director, uh, whoever that person may be at any point in time, is not somebody that you want to have next to you in a in a gunfight or a bar fight. Okay, a CIA director is basically a super nerd. Uh, Travis writes original squad here. Heard you first on Rush. I will buy a CNN sucks T-shirt or two. Love the show. Keep it up, Travis. Well, thank you, Travis. Um, I I think that uh, those shirts would sell out rather quickly. In fact, we should get some of those shirts going. I think that would be fun. Uh, Next here, Jeremy. Uh, Buck, really enjoying the Freedom Hunt interviews you've had the last few episodes. I'm getting a little worried about our friend Commie Bear. We haven't heard from him in some time. We all know those winners in Vladivostok can be brutal. Can we get a brief update from him on the next Freedom Hut podcast? If we need a crowdfunding care package of borscht and vodka, let him, let Team Buck know from Jeremy. Jeremy, man, you are you're keeping you're keeping us honest here. You are correct uh, that we have not had some commie bear in a while. The bear will be back, man. I got <laughs> uh, I got so many projects, so many things I'm trying to stay up on, and, and that's one of them. Commie bear is very important. We will get back to it. Uh, Willie writes, hey, Buck, Costa seems to have had a bad memory. Not long ago, a Republican was badly wounded, and the media went too far a long time ago. Look, I agree, Willie. That's why I said that on the show. It's Republicans that have to fear for their safety in general in this country. It's it's Trump supporters who have to be concerned about being assaulted or denigrated or uh, just in, in general attacked in public for supporting the, the, the sitting president of the United States, folks. Uh, This is a this is a big problem in this country when when the culture is so divided that there seems to be this acceptance of of pretending. I mean, that's really really what liberals do. Liberals pretend that supporting Trump is is something akin to supporting the KKK or supporting Nazism or supporting some uh, horrific, violent and evil ideology and he's the president of the United States and he's doing a great job and the country's in really good shape and they just don't they pretend not to care about any of that. I, it's it's really bizarre, I'll be honest with you. Uh, Sterling next up here. Hey, Buck, I have a friend from Austria and back in the 90s, we talked about his education. He told me that by the age of 14, he had to choose a career path and the rest of his education is geared in that direction. I imagine it's the only affordable way to make education available for the whole population. 
Do you know of any studies or information about countries with public higher learning that describe this type of plan? I bet liberal arts isn't on the list of available degrees. Sterling. Sterling, it's a great question. And I can't say that I have much uh, background in how other countries do their their schooling in terms of how early you pick. I know that in uh, in France, for example, uh, you take tests and not everybody you I know there are countries. Let me just put it this way, where you have to essentially take a standardized test for college level stuff. And some people get tracked toward more trade school and some people get tracked toward uh, a, a specific area of study in the sciences or in, in the humanities. But, yeah, um, that's a very good question. It's something that I will look into. Uh, next up here, we get Aries who writes, LOL, you got CNN on. I hear a baby crying in the background. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, CNN. CNN got called out this week. Thank you. Heavens for that. Uh, Larry writes, Buck, your show is awesome. I listen to you in Boston. Keep up the good work. Larry. Hey, Larry, you're awesome. Thanks for listening to my brother up in Boston. I appreciate it. That's going to be it from the hut for this week, folks. Another one live from the swamp in the books. Please do check out the Freedom Hut podcast. I'm telling you, it's a great listen. You'll enjoy it this weekend on iTunes or Stitcher. I'll see you next week every day. Shields high.